Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest version of uh, Tales, Tales from Outer Space, where I take an HFY story from somewhere around the internet and read it aloud for your enjoyment. All the relevant links are down below. Like, subscribe, and all that YouTube comf to help this video and channel grow. Anyways, as always, I hope that you enjoy. I would just like to thank the following tier 5 patrons and channel members for supporting the channel. Fallen Angel. Buzz Kennington, Data Magnet, and Bob the Dragon. Thank you again, and now on to the story. A Funeral for a Human, written by Chain Blue. The TFS Arizona hung motionless in the Lagrange point between Earth and Sol. I stood in the bunkroom that I shared with three human junior officers. I was amongst the first of my people to rotate onto a human warship since our alliance was forged. I was the first exchanged officer ever for the Arizona. It had been less than three months since I came on board during the maintenance cycle while she was moored in the lunar shipyard. I was to learn the ship and how the crew operated and the nuances of the mostly human crew as we readied her for service. They say if you want to make the fates laugh, make a plan. I looked into the mirror and tried to lay flat what little remained of my singed facial fur. It was no use. It had been burned down to nearly the skin. Resigned to looking like a hydro horror, back lying too close to a power relay, I tried to finish buttoning my dress uniform. My clumsy new prosthetic hand balked at the task, and my remaining original hand trembled uncooperatively. Having only just been released from recovery, I had yet to do the physical therapy that would cement its connection to my nervous system. The thin gold kintsugi thread on the right sleeve where my organic parts joined my prosthetic contrasted with the vanta black fabric that glinted at me as I glared contemplatively at my artificial arm. Lieutenant Rhymes saw my groaning frustration and stood from where he sat on his bunk and stepped to my side. His aura was dark blue with ripples of quicksilver. May I assist you, Mr. Shiftik? he asked quietly. I nodded in the human gesture that could mean many things, but in this case was an affirmative response. I did not trust my voice. Moments after my uniform was finally in order, all of our comms rang out. The captain's voice was clear and calm and as strong as the armor on the howl. She called, All hands! Bury the dead! I walked through the mostly empty corridors. The ship was eerily quiet. Memories forced their way into my mind as I walked. This boy did not deserve this fate. I pressed back sorrow with rage and dearly wishing again for the cold numbness that I had felt while I was in sickbay recovering. It was not long a walk and soon the second to last hatch before the main hangar opened before me. Master Chief Petty Officer Claude Riley stood waiting for me, also in full dress uniform. I almost didn't recognize him. I had never seen his stout form in any clothing except lubricant-stained grey technician coveralls, looking at all the universe like a slightly annoyed Terran bear. His usual red aura danced flame-like around him, trying to hide the vibrant nature tones nearer his skin. It was a dead giveaway 
another memory clawed its way to the front of my mind. No, I had seen him red coveralls not long ago. I found myself reliving the memory in the starts and stops of motion. I was in a metal deck of an engineering access compartment. It was filled with sickly green smoke that burned eyes and twisted my lungs into spasms. Alarms were blaring, but I more felt them than hurt them. The explosion had blunted my hearing and all sounds were muffled gusts. My arm hurt and I tried to look at it, but it wasn't there. Where is it? I thought, dumbfounded. It is supposed to be here, and it's not. Pink blood spurted from my mid-forearm in time with my heartbeats. I knew I should be doing something, but all my brain would tell me was that we weren't finished with the engine couldn't pump replacement. Strong hands picked me up and bodily hurled me through the smoke-filled air and out of a quickly closing emergency door. I landed in a heap next to Master Chief Riley, who lying on his back on the corridor deck. Dozens of pieces of metal protruding from his body, from his face, down past his knees. Deep, red, human blood flowed freely onto the deck. Then the world wavered into emptiness. It would be a full day before I regained consciousness and learned of the simultaneous surprise attack by the Urengintu on our shipyard and twelve others. Master Chief Riley was gripping my shoulder with his thick, stubby fingers and shaking me gently. Sir, are you with me? he inquired. My eyes focused on his. One was dark blue like the ocean before a storm, and the other was a metallic grey and gentle green glow of an artificial replacement. His face, a map of new thin pink scars. Instead of answering him, I countered. Master Chief, what are you doing out of recovery? When I left, I heard Dr. Puranan telling you that you still had three days left before you could leave. Master Chief Rani growled in a voice that reminded me of rocks grating together, and simply stated, We disagreed. The man had a talent for brevity. We walked in silence into the hangar bay and gathered with the rest of the honor platoon. The hangar door was open to space with a barrier field keeping the atmosphere in place. Sol hung brightly in the distance. Our escort ships and point-defense drones kept stations in spherical formation around us. Those aft and in our view had all of their hull lights on. The aft were altering formation to create a cylinder of open space leading directly to the home star. There were seven marines lined up near the stand where the three-meter-long railgun slug lay perched. They were holding ancient-looking rifles with actual wooden parts. The chaplain and the exo stood slightly to the side, having a quiet discussion. The rest of the honor guard and I formed two loose rows facing the railgun slug. The captain entered and appeared to be escorting two humans I had never seen before. It was an older human male and female. They wore older-style fleet uniforms. The male looked to be of average height, and his shoulders were slightly stooped with age. His master chief's uniform jacket was taut across his slightly extended midsection. His shorn head was covered in scars, as was his wrinkled face. The burden of a reluctant warrior's pain weighed upon him. 
His aura was so dim that it appeared as faded grey fog. It was a burden he carried willingly to spare others its weight. I read his ribbons and medals. My eyes widened when I finally noticed the sizable blue band of cloth that wrapped around his neck and that had a bronze-colored inverted star hanging from it. This man's sacrifices would have won him the title of a war clan leader three times over in my own system. I forced my gaze to the human female. She wore a dark green uniform of a fleet marine chief master sergeant. She was slender and tall, taller than the male. She had a short cropped grey hair the colour of steel. Her aura clung closely to her, but whispered that she had a grace of a dancer and a quiet fortitude of a, well, an elder Terran marine. She had so many kintsugi threads on her uniform that I wondered how many original parts had left. No wonder humans had a reputation for sometimes just refusing to die out of sheer obstinance. I looked at her ribbons and medals and saw a golden eagle clutching a sword and a shield in two-clawed grip. The human word, Valkyrie, appeared in my mind. That isn't a human female, I thought. That is an epic war song in the form of one. This was the last face many a warrior saw before they passed into the next world. Who are they, I thought. I had never seen them on board the ship before. I didn't think guests were allowed, I whispered to Master Chief Riley. He softly growled in a way of explanation. They are his parents. Guess that someone high up owed at least one of them a debt that couldn't be ignored. Before I could ponder on that, the Exo's sharp command brought us all to order. The main entry door opened and six crewmen marched into the hangar in perfect unison. The sound of their polished shoes echoing over the muted thrum of the main reactor. The middle two crewmen held a simple carrier in the two-handed grip. Suspended between them was a polished steel urn. They marched over to the railgun snug. The lead bearer called a halt. The chaplain removed the urn from the carrier and held it as the bearers took position there on each side of the snug and marked time until called to face the railgun snug and halt once more. Once they were in position, the chaplain stepped up to the slug and placed the urn into the open compartment on an otherwise solid piece of hyperdense metal. A mechanism would, as an unseen device, sealed the small hatch. I glanced over to the parents standing with the captain. I saw the female's aura flare into a vibrant green of life, then warped into a riot of chaotic storm. In the abyss of the hangar silence, I caught the whispered words. My little boy. She buried her face into the male's shoulder, and they held each other. Grief and pain flowing in great, pulsing waves from them as the bearers precisely draped a Terran fleet flag over the railgun slug. The captain stepped between us then. Her face and body dared anyone to look directly at the pair. Her silent vigil continued until the parents once more stood apart, but with hands firmly clasped. The exo called parade rest. 
The captain stepped away from the parents and began to speak to us all. We gather here to lay rest apprentice seaman John Ward Etheridge Jr. He displayed courage and fortitude that exemplifies at the best of the fleet and the best of humanity. When chaos and fire came to him, he answered with selflessness and honor. When this ship, our ship, and his brothers and sisters were attacked, he stepped into the breach and delivered them unto safety. Though grievously wounded, he carried not one, but two of his brothers to safety. He went back into the hellish flame and brought forth his sister. Finally, he went back one final time. And with their escape closing, his final act was to summon all that remained of his strength and deliver one final brother to salvation. No words that I can say, no honors that we can bestow, can ever be enough to balance the scales. We stand here today in his debt, because of him four families of mothers and fathers, of husbands and wives, of brothers and sisters and children, still have their loved ones in this world with them. Our debt can only be paid when we do everything in our power to stand between those we love and those who would do them harm and ensure that no more tears need be shed. I chanced a glance at the parents. Their auras hurt. They had abandoned all vestiges of military decorum. They held each other, and again as sobs racked their bodies, hot tears flowed from my own eyes as I patted onto the deck. I quickly looked away. I tried and failed to tame my mind and blunt my aura sense. I focused on the far bulkhead and concentrated with all my will to stay standing upright. I followed along robotically as the exo called for a salute, then a long silence, where men of bowed heads rained down more tears. Another command, and the seven marines fired their ancient chemical propellant rifles in unison. They repeated this twice more. The service became a blur in time. I remember a horn playing a mournful song, but I cannot recall the notes. I remember a folded flag being presented to the parents, but I do not recall leaving the slug. I remember the starboard aft railgun being manually loaded, but I do not recall how the 5,000 kilogram monolith was moved to the breach. I remember the shudder as the recoil of the big gun overwhelmed the compensators, but I do not recall the command to fire. I remember the blue streak of Tracer as the remains of seamen Etheridge raced towards Sol, but I do not recall ever seeing the light fade. I remember looking once more at the creators of my savior with my full senses having brought to my knees by the sheer anguish they projected. I do not possess any memory of the bone-chilling funeral howl that I am told that I loosed upon the hangar. I am forever grateful 
that the parents felt that it was a show of deep and raw emotion by someone that their son's life had touched instead of a disrespectful breach of conduct. His mother sent actual paper letters to all present that day, thanking us for honoring her child and charging us with making his sacrifice into a legacy. My letter was handwritten and in my native language. I sealed that letter in a protective barrier. Even today, it remains inside my pocket of my uniform. My last solid memory of that day was of Master Chief Petty Officer Claude Riley pulling me up to my feet and saying, Come on, we're gonna get roaring drunk. When we wake up tomorrow, we're gonna burn every last urine to son of a bitch in the universe to ash. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.